you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. And now, Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Move the Sticks. DJ Bucky back with you. Buck, good to see you after a couple weeks. How you doing, man? Man, I am good. I am good, but I'm really excited today. I'm really excited about the podcast because the guy that we have on is, uh, I think he's going to be a nice treat. Yeah, this is, this is. I'm not going to lie, we've done the interview. Top three interview that we've done. Maybe might be the best one we've ever done in terms yeah. of knowledge, like taking notes. Yeah, I, th- I think this is one of the best ones that we've done in terms of insight, knowledge, and, and kind of taking you behind the curtain. Um, I, I think what you always hope for is when you interview people that they can make you smarter. They can give you a nugget or two that will allow you to see the game in a different way. And I think uh, I think I'm definitely seeing the game in a different way after talking. Yeah. So the guest is Luke Keekley, uh, recently retired and uh, is going to go in the Hall of Fame. Well, let's uh, let's go through some of the accomplishments here of Luke Keekley. You talk about getting stuff done. How about defensive player of the year in the NFL, rookie of the year in the NFL, five time first team all pro. He's a seven time pro bowler. Uh, he was on the NFL 2010s all decade team, won the Butkus Award in college. Uh, I mean, on and on ACC defensive player of the year. Uh, just He's ridiculous. Uh, incredible, incredible career for Luke Keekley, both collegiately and at the NFL level, um, and somebody that I think you guys are going to get a kick out of listening to. So here's our conversation with Luke Keekley. Well, Luke, appreciate you taking some time for us today, man. Uh, a lot of ground I want to get to in terms of the linebacker position, where it was when you entered the league and where it's headed uh, in the future. But I want to start off, first of all, I was, I was looking at this the other day, uh, doing some homework on you, going back to high school, St. Xavier, you rock the number three. With, with the new rules that would have been in place, if you entered the league and were allowed to wear a single digit, would you have would you have rocked number three instead of 59? I think I would have gone 40 because that was my number in college. So when I got up to when I got up to Carolina, the only number that was really open was was 59. And they're like, that's the number you're going to take because that was Coach Rivera's number when he was playing. So it was either, <laughs> it was either 59 or a number in the 90s. And I was not I was not <laughs> anything, anything in the 90s. I was I was number 51 in uh, in grade school. But 51 in Carolina is Sam Mills. So that yeah. number's retired. Um, and then all the 50s were all taken up by linebackers. So I got there that said, 59 is your number. That's what we're going to give you because we don't want to put you in a 90 number. So I'm, uh, I'm happy that they, they didn't do that to me. So it worked out. It did work out. Hey, Luke, so it's, it's interesting because you had an opportunity to not only play on some great defenses, but you played for a head coach who was a linebacker. How much pressure is it when you play the position that your head coach knows the most? I think it helped. It helped a lot. And I think the biggest thing that he had, he not only played and played at a high level, he played obviously – for the 85 bears, but he coached in, in Chicago with, with, with Erlacher and Briggs. So, I mean, there wasn't a whole lot that he didn't either, either experience as a player or have as, as, as a coach with those two guys. And a lot of the stuff that he would teach you, he, you know, he, I think what coach did a really good job of was he let his coaches coach. And then every once in a while when he needed to step in, he'd step in. And I remember I, I had 
always had issues with cover two drops as the middle run through player. I'd get nosy, I'd get aggressive, and I'd get outside the hashes and get all over the place. And he would he brought a clip to me of of, of Brian playing. He's like, look, Brian sits in between the hashes. He never gets outside of, outside the hashes until the ball is thrown, and he trusts his speed and his length to get there. Versus me, I always felt like I had pressure to get outside the hash to match a vertical. Um, but if you get outside the hash on one time and that quarterback throws a seam ball to the other hash, you're never going to get there. And he said, just be patient, stay in between the hashes. And for me, I was real visual. So once I saw, all right, that makes sense what coach is saying. And then he was able to match it up really well with the clip of Brian doing it. And I think that was the major advantage of having coach. He's a great person. He's a great coach, but he has such good insight at that position. Who was your guy? I mean, you mentioned Erlacher there. You think about the the generation that was maybe just before you. You had I was there in Baltimore with Ray Lewis. You yeah. had Zach Thomas down in Miami. Like who who was kind of your guy growing up? Well, those you you mentioned a lot of them. Zach, Ray, um, obviously Brian, Derek Brooks. I mean, mm-hmm. all those inside backers that could really that could really go get it. And even even Beast when I was coming up, you know, John Beeson was a stud when I got that count down the Carolina. He couldn't have been he couldn't have been a better teacher and a coach and a guy that was just in my corner the whole time of showing me how to do things just stuff around charlotte he was fantastic so that was what i thought was cool about the game was you know you grew up watching all these guys i had a chance to meet um uh erlacher after a game we played in soldier field um it was a cold fall day overcast the field the environment erlacher was there briggs was there peanut tillman was there Pep was on, was in Chicago that game, and and it was my rookie year, and I was just so excited because you grew up watching all these guys. I'm like, man, they're like on the other team. I'm going to get a chance to play against them. Forte was the running back. Hester was returning kicks. Man, it was like, it was it was so cool. So it was that first year you you go up against some guys and you're like, on, that guy's a dude that I watched growing up a lot. But you kind of hit hit at Thomas, Zach Thomas, Erlacher. Um, Ray and then Derek Brooks. Those are kind of the dudes that I grew up watching. You know, Luke, it's funny because you played in Carolina and I was in Carolina for about three years and we went to a Super Bowl, but we had Dan Morgan and Morgan yeah. Fields. Uh, the defense has always been really salty with Julius Peppers and Chris Jenkins and those guys. So when you step in there, did you feel like as an organization right away that this is about the defense kind of carrying the water for the team? Did you ever get that sense of feel? Uh, not not as much because I thought we had pretty pretty established guys in the offensive side of the ball, but there was, you know, with Greg and Khalil and and Steve and Jordan Gross. But when I got there, there was like you said, there was such a a standard for linebacker playing Carolina. You know, you talk about it, you know, Sam Mills, and then you go to Dan Morgan, and then you go to Beeson and Thomas, and it was just kind of expected that. You come in and you're here to play defenses, and this is how we play defense. Play hard, we play tough, we play physical, and the effort is never a question. And I think the best guy, as far as effort goes, in in love for the game and a competitive attitude was Thomas. Nobody was more competitive, nobody was more high energy than Thomas. He loved the game, he was tough, he was physical, he did everything right. And when you come in as a young guy and you've got Beast and Thomas and we had a couple other guys in that room that were studs, there's only one way to do things. And those guys set the tone for the defense. And I'm sure when they got there, they learned from Dan and, and all those same guys as well. So it was just kind of a, a culture thing. When I got there, there was an expectation and your job was to hold that expectation up. 
I want to go back a little bit before that, before the Panthers. Um, I remember going through, and I'll get you. I've got your scouting report here. I pulled it from when I was at the Eagles when I wrote it. So that, that, that's coming your way. You can give me a thumbs up or a thumbs down uh, when we get there. But going back to high school, your, your high school team was loaded. I think you guys – did you guys win the national championship in high school? My junior year, we were really good. We were we went 15-0. and We beat a ton of nationally ranked teams. We beat DeMatha. We beat some teams from Indianapolis, Kentucky, um, St. Ignatius's basically our, our brother's school up in Cleveland. They're Jesuit, all boys school, tough, physical, longtime head coach. Um, but we were, we were really good that year. We had, man, we had 20 out of the 22 starters. I think, I think 18, 18 or 19 of them played college sports. A lot of kids went to Ivy school. So Columbia, Cornell, um, Penn, we had a kid go to Yale and then we had a couple kids sprinkled in the university of Cincinnati. Um, we, we were just stacked that year. We had a great coach. Our coach, Steve Speck's been there um, shoot, at least 2003 or four, and he's got three or four state championships. So it was another thing. When we when I got there, there was just an expectation. When, when, when Coach Speck took over, he took over from a guy named Steve Rasso that had been there forever. So the last 25, 30, probably 30 years, there's been two coaches at St. X, and they've all been very successful. You come in, and the expectation is – just like when I got to Carolina, play hard, play physical, and respect the game. So I was, I've been very fortunate in my football career to have good people to look up to and good environments that I've come into. I'm curious, just following up on that. Obviously, you're known for for what you did, tape study wise, preparation wise. Was that was that where the foundation was laid? Was that high school? We we actually did watch it in in high school, and you know, actually, we did a little bit when we got to the playoffs in grade school. We'd go over to one of our coaches' house and we just casually watch. It was kind of just an opportunity for everybody to get together. But when I got to high school, once once I got into the varsity team my, my junior year, we'd go down in, in, into Speck's office during lunch, and we'd all sit around in his office. We'd all eat our lunches, and Speck would put tape on and kind of walk us through stuff. He's like, all right, this is what we're going to get. This is what I envision us being in on the defensive side of the ball, which is kind of run through the mental gymnastics of you know your alignment, what your communication looked like. That way you're getting cheap reps. And that's what I thought always was good about tape is, is they're cheap reps and you can get a lot of them fast. And you learn that from a young age. And I think the most important thing about watching tape is you watch it. And then when you have success because you've watched the tape, I think that's where the real satisfaction comes in and it keeps you wanting more. All right, what can I do to get an edge? Like you watch tape. You can put yourself in a situation, you envision the play, and then you get out in the game, and boom, you see that same look, the same formation, you're in the same defense, and that play comes and you make a play. And you're like, man, all that tape I watched, it was worth it. And I think that's that's what's cool to me about watching the tape. And I think it started, you know, when I was with Spec, just going down there, eating lunch with him and him walking us through stuff. You know, I'm so curious because it sounds like you have like great foundation in terms of your preparation and your practice habits in high school. Did that change at all when you got to Boston College? No, it actually it actually helped a lot. I mean, it actually got better. You know, I when we were when I was at St. X, you know, you have you just put like the VHS in or the DVD, and <laughs> it's kind of like line fast forward. So you're getting you're getting the game. We didn't really have cut ups per se. And then I got to I got to BC, and it was like it was like Playland, personnel <laughs> groups down a distance. Um, formations whatever you wanted you had it was like blew my mind I had all this stuff to watch and I had, there was a guy in the, there named Wes Davis he was a safety 
and he was, I played with Wes for two years. So he was, um, a senior, my freshman year and then my junior or yeah. And then my sophomore, he was a red shirt senior and Wes was a big tape guy, super smart, understood the whole defense. He understood defensive line, linebackers, corners, safeties. He could kind of tell everybody what to do. And I was like, I'm going to be like that guy. And so I go watch tape with Wes and he, he really would walk me through how he would do it. He'd go in there. We had another corner that those guys would all watch tape together. And then I just would see Wes in this corner talking all the time. Like, Hey, if we get this game, I'm just going to give you a look. And that's, and we know we're on the same page. And, and that started to kind of make my, my mind spin a little bit in the sense of, all right, well, if I can know what I'm doing just by watching tape and I can line myself up, all right, what's the next step? The next step is what Wes was doing was bringing guys in, talking to them, being proactive in the communication aspect. Cause you know, you go play somewhere it's loud. It's hard to communicate. Um, I learned that from Wes. I learned how to break down, you know, personnel groups, what teams are trying to do on third down. And that was to me, I think a huge factor for me getting to Carolina, because by the time I got to Carolina, there's some little bit of refining going on, but, what I learned in high school and then really what Wes, what I picked up from Wes was what set that foundation of what I'm able to do. I'm curious on this front, obviously look at the numbers, gosh, I remember going back to BC 532 tackles over three years there. Um, the production, the tape study, we've talked a little bit about that, but when we're, when we're uh, talking with quarterbacks, Luke, when we're going through the draft process, recall is huge, man. So it's not only just being able to study during the week, but then like we had Mahomes come in studio and I asked him about a specific play like against TCU the third week of the season and his recall was outstanding. Do you, do you see that as a quarterback in the defense? It's not only your tape study, but maybe you're, you're on the field and maybe you haven't watched something in this game that you're playing right now, but maybe something triggers from two years ago or whatever. And then that and then and then off you go with the recall to go along with the study habits. Well, I think what I tried to do, I learned this from me from McDermott quite a bit was he always, I had a book on all the coordinators. So the one guy was Shanahan. So I played against Shanahan as a rookie when he was in, was in, when he was in Washington. And then I think we played him again, maybe in, I don't know where he was in 13, but in 14, I think he was in Cleveland. And then in 15, we played him again. And I, every year I feel like I played a Kyle Shanahan offense. So it was always just kind of like, oh, boom, like we saw that back in 2014 when we played Cleveland. They had the same kind of the same kind of vibe. Boom, now he's going to pull back out. And that's and I'm sure they, they do that on their side of the ball as well in the sense of we're going to play a McDermott defense. We're going to be a 4-3. They're going to be a lot of rotation down to the tight end and single high. In the red zone, they're going to play a quarters look. So he's going to have his answers. We also got to have our answers as well. So that's what was was fun to me. If you can – you can remember stuff and recall stuff. And the other thing too, I think week to week things change quite a bit in the sense of this team might, might not have, say we're playing the Falcons, right? And two weeks prior, we got beat on a play in, in like high red zone quarters. Maybe Atlanta doesn't have that play in their, in their repertoire, but they're going to put it in that week because they thought they saw they had success against yeah. them. So it's like down a distance situation, formation, what hasn't worked against, what's worked against us, boom. That's why this guy's there. That's why that guy's there. And hopefully you can make a pre-snap adjustment to make sure that everybody's on the same page. And a lot of times our guys in the back end were always so good at that. Roman and Kurt and all those guys were so smart, you know, that they were able to kind of get everything situated. It's funny that you mentioned Roman and Kurt because, look, everything that I've learned about defense, um, D coordinators always say you have to be strong down the middle. 
and the positions of centrality, Mike linebacker, safety, you have to have guys that are not only outstanding thinkers, but they have to be great communicators. And in listening to you, I hear you talk about understanding stuff, but then it's the relaying it to your teammates. So if you had to take a young player, how would you tell them or how would you get them to up to any on their communication skills when it comes to, I am the Mike linebacker, I'm responsible for the defense, but it's important for me to be a great talker so everyone is on, a, on the same page. I think it's, first of all, it's confidence. Those guys got to understand, you know, what are they, what are they doing? Because I, I'm speaking from experience. When I first got there, I was trying to learn everything and it was kind of hard. I didn't want to say the wrong thing. And I think so, first of all, they got to be confident in what they're doing. They got to understand their role on the defense in a situation. Um, but I think, I think the more practice and the more reps you get at it, the better guys are. So when we'd be in meetings on Wednesdays, we, we would come in early and McD would have a meeting for us. And it was really, it was just the back seven. And it was, all they do is give us looks and defenses and everybody had to talk. So, you know, me and Thomas would talk together. We, then rotation would talk. And if we were in man, I'd be like, hey, Roman, this is how I see it. Boom. Then he'd, then he'd relay back to me and then the corners would do the same thing. So I think those guys got to be confident. I think it's got to be, there's got to be an environment where those guys feel comfortable talking. And then the more reps you get at it, the more confident they get at it, the more I think those guys begin to feel like they belong in the room and they're welcome and they're part of the group, the better they can be because all these guys like to talk. All these guys like to have fun. You see them in a the locker room, they're cutting up. So they don't have an issue talking. I think it's more, they got to be confident. They got to feel like they're, they're in a good environment where they can learn. And they just have to have the ability to, I could, if, if I'm a rookie and um, I'm trying to think, there's a, there's a Bobby Wagner's out there, Levante David. I can't be ashamed to be like, hey, watch out for this. Because mm-hmm. if I don't and that play hits, they're going to be like, what, why didn't you tell me? I can't be intimidated by the older guys because everybody wants the same thing. Everybody wants to succeed. Everybody wants to win. And everybody has a part in that. Well, I'm curious. We got the rookies showing up, rookie mini camps going on around the league right now. Um, I remember when I got to Baltimore for the first time, I was there in the spring. It was an OTA. And seeing how hard Ray practiced – and, and you're just like, this guy's the best in the business. And to be going like he's going in a, in a spring OTA. But it set the tone for all the young guys. They came in there, they saw him, and they knew kind of what the expectation was from a practice standpoint. I was talking to a coach the other day, said they showed their rookies that came in practice fake, just like how to go through drills, just to give them an idea of pro tempo and everything. How, how did you guys go about doing it? How did you as a leader get all these new guys every year, this young group, to, to figure out how to practice? Well, I think the thing that was good for me in pretty much my whole career into the last year I was there was I didn't have to do that because when I got there, Thomas on the defensive side of the ball, Thomas was that guy. Mm-hmm. And he set the tone and you had a match's intensity. And Thomas was the best guy, one of the best guys that I dealt with in the sense of his ability to connect with guys on the team. He would never yell at guys. He'd never like embarrass guys. He would, he would always just talk to them and challenge them and, make it a game and a competition. And I think guys really, really bought into that. And they, they didn't feel threatened. They didn't feel um, scared. It was just kind of like this guy that's been here forever. He's had three ACLs. He's still fighting. He's still clawing. He still runs hard at practice. We have these GPSs we used to wear. He'd always have the highest speed of the linebackers, even when he was in year 15 or whatever it was. So there wasn't, 
there weren't options. It was practice hard or don't practice. Mm-hmm. And Thomas set that tone. So for me, I think it's all about creating an environment. So if you're a young guy and there's an old guy there, you got to watch the older guy. There's a reason that these guys are successful. There's a reason they've been in the league for as long as they have been. It's because they do things the right way. And the older guy sets a tone. It's the older guy's job to kind of keep everybody in line. But it's also a two-way street. The young guy's got to buy in and understand, like, I don't care how you did it in college. This is this is how we do it here. This is how we do it in Carolina. This is the way that it's going to be. You know, Luke, it, it, it's funny because you talked about it. Because right now we're kind of undergoing a change in the, the league. Like, you're having players – asking for coaches to dial it back a little bit when it comes to the tempo of OTAs and mini camps and those things. Yet here I am listening to you as one of the best players to play in the league for like a decade. Talk about practice is important. We need those reps. We need to get it. What is the fine line between like getting enough work at the tempo that we need to really prepare for the season and maybe doing too much in the off season? I think all the, the sports science that is involved right now with guys wearing GPSs and having an analytics department that really breaks all this stuff down. I think it goes beyond, I feel sore, so we're not going to practice today. I think it's there's tangible numbers that these guys have that they're able to kind of break it down and measure you know, load and speed output and step balance and fatigue levels. I think you can do a really good job in the offseason of, of putting a plan together that lets guys – not only get better and succeed, but also takes care of their bodies. And then I think honestly, during the season, it's a team, the team kind of thing. Obviously the numbers and the science comes into play, but you know, when in 15, when we went the year, we went to the Super Bowl, we were older. We had a lot of old guys in the team. And after probably week five, um, we go out there, we'd run through Indy. We'd have like one, one practice in, you know, just in shells, like a, not like full speed, but it was like a true team period. And we'd be running and moving and doing our thing. Um, and then after that first period, we'd take, our sh- we'd take everything off and it was like a walkthrough. But it was you understood that it's not just a, a, a mess around session. We're not just out here. Like if it's lock in, lock in, get what you need to get done. And we're giving this to you guys as an opportunity to recover. And I thought Rivera always did a really good job of kind of finding the happy meeting between I'm going to push you guys. I'm going to make sure you guys have enough break. But when it's time to really lock in and dial in, we got to do it because if you guys start taking advantage of this situation and, and messing around and not treating it the right, we'll just go back in to pads. And everyone's like, no, we don't want to do that. And we had enough older guys in the team that understood that. And our practices were super productive, a lot of communication, guys were where they needed to be. And that little break on Wednesday, I think, really propelled everybody into the weekend in the sense of recovery and getting your legs back. But at the same time, we didn't miss a beat as far as communication and assignment and alignment and doing all that stuff. It was just a little bit dialed back physically wise. I'm curious, you know, you got a chance to spend a year in scouting uh, there with the Panthers, but when you, when you step back in big picture team building uh, from somebody who's been on a team that went to a Super Bowl, has been on great defenses, how would you prioritize it? We talk about kind of the positions of priority or whatever, but how would you Luke kick? Let's make you a general manager for a day. You get a blank slate here. Where do you focus in terms of the beginning stages, building a foundation for your team? I think specifically on the defensive side of the ball, I think if you can be really good up front, you all, you always have a chance to win. And, mm-hmm. you know, you kind of look at – that's kind of how we were when I first got here. And then, you know, the one of the later examples now is is what San Fran was able to do. They just yeah. drafted all those big monsters inside, pass rushers, big inside athletic guys. 
and then filled in pieces around him. They hit on some dudes. I mean, Fred Warner's a monster. They got mm-hmm. some good guys in the back end. They've got tons of corners. They, they've just got guys that make life very difficult for offenses. And, you know, I'd love to say you got to draft linebackers, you got to draft, <laughs> draft corners. But I think affecting the passer is one of the most important things to do in the NFL right now. I'm always going to be like that unless it gets back to teams running the ball 40 times a game, which I just don't, I don't see happening. You look at what Tampa did this year in the Super Bowl, affecting Mahomes, and they're good. I mean, they're good everywhere on defense, but they were just causing so many problems up front that it makes everyone's job so much easier. You know, it's funny, Luke, because you talked about it. So going back to the defense that we built in Carolina that went to the Super Bowl, it was the same thing. It was monsters up front, mm-hmm. linebacker play. And then we I won't say we just had anybody at corner and safety, yeah. but it really was the front seven. And so there's this debate about linebacker and how you prioritize linebacker when it comes to the draft. And so you were drafted high as in, quote, unquote, off the ball linebacker. Yeah. So when you think about that position, how important is it to have a stud at the linebacker spot, and what are the qualities that they need to exhibit to make you say, okay, that's the guy that we need to have to be the centerpiece of the defense? I think the one stat that doesn't get <clears throat> measured enough are TFLs. And, Interesting. You know, it's, it's, a, it's either a, a zero yardage play or a negative play. Mm-hmm. And if you, if you take the word sack and TFL out, it's kind of the same. It's the same thing. I think, you know, you start arguing pressures and, you know, you hit the quarterback that obviously – obviously is a huge factor and sacks obviously in pressures do that. But I think a TFL is so valuable. It's, it's a negative run play. Um, and the best guys in the league are right up there around 10, 11, 12, a couple sacks. And so I think if you can get a dynamic guy that can sideline the sideline, he's good in the past game, but he can affect, he can affect the game at or behind the line of scrimmage. I think that's where your big money guys come in. You look at, you know, what Bobby's done, what, um, you know, Levante David's done. I think he's one of the most underrated guys in the league that just doesn't get enough credit. He's always – look at his – you just go look at his numbers, sacks, TFLs, form, forced fumbles, pure tackles. The dude's a monster. And then Devin White down there is a monster too. He's like the next dude. Fred Warner's like that. Mm-hmm. All these guys that um, – Deion Jones. We had a stacked – our division was stacked. Mario Davis was as a stud in New Orleans. You know, Shaq is like that. He can do a little bit of everything. So I think I think tackles are great, and and I'll, I'll be the first to say tackles are great. Somebody's got to tackle the ball carrier. But if you can affect the game at or behind the line of scrimmage, and then in the pass game as a cover player, pass deflections, um, interceptions, I think that's where linebackers tend to separate themselves. That's interesting. I just looked it up. So if you go last year, TJ Watt, obviously, and Hassan Reddick were the top two of their edge guys. Yeah. Uh, Aaron Donald was, you know, is right there. And then it's Roquan Smith, Devin White. Yeah, well, Roquan's a stud too. I mean, those dudes that can get behind a line of scrimmage and affect the ball back there, those are the dudes that are valuable. Yeah, that's a great – That's a. it is a stat that you do not hear referenced with linebackers very often either. That's great. It's fantastic. Um uh, I want to go back and uh, and pull this scouting report up so you can tell me where I where I was right and where I was wrong here. So this is going back. Here's my uh, here's my Luke Kuechly. So I did you on a cross check, so I didn't have to go into the school. So I just did you on tape. Um, all right, here we go. It's kind of a lengthy report here. Uh, Luke's a three year starter inside linebacker for BC, declared for the 2020, 2012 draft, following an insanely productive three year career. Outstanding height bulk for the position. 
Uh, this is one of the most instinctive linebackers I've ever graded. Against the run, directs traffic pre-snap, extremely quick to key, read, flow, uh, once the ball is in the quarterback's hands. He has very quick feet, takes excep- exceptional angles when working downhill, constantly gets over the top of blockers, wrap, wraps around for tackles. He isn't a violent take-on type, prefers to dip under, use a quick shake to avoid. He'll flash the ability to extend and protect himself before getting off and picking up tackles. His lateral range is outstanding, sucks up wide receivers on reverses, and his motor is always running high. He's a firm, reliable tackler, leads with his face and brings his feet on contact. He's very reliable in space to finish versus small athletic backs in these tapes. Excellent pass coverage, can run a mirror tight ends all over the field. Very instinctive zone dropper, gets his hands on a lot of footballs. Shows you all you need to see in the Miami game. Makes a PBU 35 yards down the field when draped on the tight end. Later, makes a very athletic INT, uh, returns it for a touchdown. Good timing and burst as a blitzer and can finish. Overall, this player doesn't play with ideal violence, but his combination of size, speed, and instincts is very rare. He could play any of the three linebacker spots here in Philly. He'll be productive starter immediately. I, I think you're dead on with the violence aspect. Of it. I think, <laughs> well, that's I, the only negative thing I said. I couldn't come well, up with anything. You nailed that. You nailed that because I remember when I first when I first got to Carolina, the biggest thing that I had a tr- had trouble with was the how to get off blocks because in college I could just kind of run around and I had so much freedom in college to just kind of, just kind of get to the ball, just get to the ball, get where you need to be. And we don't really care how you do it. I mean, I had rules and stuff, but I had a lot of freedom. When I got to Carolina, it was eight man front. This is your gap. You're responsible for your gap. You got to be in there. And that was easy enough. I was like, boom, I just run in there. I get it. I'll get my, I'll do my job. And OTA is like, this is easy. And then, and then in training camp, I was just getting blasted. I'm like, this is awful. <laughs> and I think there's a real, there's, there's a strength difference. There's a technique difference. There's like grown men in the NFL. I didn't understand that concept at all. Remember the first game we played in Tampa, they ran a lead, a lead play in the B gap. I was playing Will. They ran a lead play in the B gap the whole game. And I was getting just destroyed, just mauled. I got killed. And I played terrible that game. And it took me a few games to realize, like, this is how you have to do it. Every play is a violent play. Every play, you got to put your hands on a guy and stuff him. And I was never, I was never like a true knockback tackler or a take on blow dudes up. But you just kind of learn where to put your hands, where to get your feet, where to be, where guys are weak, how to kind of position yourself um, to be effective in those situations. But it took me a while, and the physical aspect, I, Thomas was ultra-physical, ultra-explosive, violent. I just never had that in my game, so I had to try to get creative on how to do it, but you're dead right on that. Right? <laughs> it was it was an eye-opening ex- experience. So we played, we played Tampa week one, New Orleans week two, and I was just getting my face caved in. I remember in training camp, Jordan Gross, our left tackle, awesome guy. Great player, played 11, I think he played 11 years. Just vet, crafty, athletic, could get out in space and run. Um, they ran, we ran, they ran like a bounce G play. And I was like, boom, like, I got this. I'd done this a million times in college. Just go hit the tackle and go run over the ball. And he came out and he gave me like a shoulder as if he was going to come hit me. And then I went in and he kind of took a step back and then I stood up and then he's punched me. And he kind of punched and grabbed. And it was it was like the ultimate vet move 
an offensive lineman of like, I could have just chucked you and I could have thrown you on the ground, but like I punched you and then I grabbed you. And then there's like that, there's that moment where it's like, you're not as good as you think you are. (laughs) You win, you win. So it's, there's everybody in the NFL, I don't care who you are. Everybody has those, those moments where you, where you learn and you're just like, this is the league. And I had one against Michael Robinson when he was in Seattle. Mike Rob. Oh gosh, the dude rocked me. It was, it was, it was a great hit. And it was one of those hits. Like he hit me so hard, like you don't even feel it. You just, I'm on the, I'm on the ground and I didn't know what happened. So Russell was scrambling like to my right. And so he was probably 15 yards in front of me and he was running like dead at me. I'm like, what is he like? What is he doing? I'm going to go, I'm going to go smack him. So he's running, he's running, he's running at the last second. He veers to my left and I'm like getting ready to go tackle him. I look and then I see, I see big old number, I think it was 32, Mike Robinson running at me and boom, like just cleaned me up. And and you know how he is. He's great. He he kind of looked at me and just smiled. And it was kind of one of those moments where like, you're just a young guy. Like you'll you're gonna learn. And uh everybody has his experiences, but the physical aspect of the game from from college or the pros is completely different. It's it's funny that you talk about the physical part of it because I we DJ and I have talked about the game shifting and trending towards positionless ball where we're having these guys that are maybe safety linebacker hybrids that are playing down in the box. But because the game is so pass centric, they're able to thrive. When you think about some of the smaller linebackers that are coming to the league, you believe they also have to adjust to the physicality because it's a different animal down in that phone booth in the box. Yeah. And I think that's, that's, I think being an offensive coordinator would be so fun, right? So we throw out, excuse me, we throw out Christian McCaffrey. He's a problem on a linebacker. You get him in space, linebackers struggle. He's just so athletic. He runs great routes. Boom. All right. So we're going to slide, we're going to slide a safety down. He's going to play Will. All right. Cool. Now the safety's in the box. Now we're going to run zone right at him, or we're going to pull a guard out or a tackle around. And we're going to, we're going to go from 11 personnel. Um, throwing the ball to putting this little guy in the box. Now we're going to come back and we're going to run power football, old school power football. And we're going to try to see what this guy can do. So it's, it's the ultimate chess match of defensive coordinators and offensive coordinators. And all right, you're going to bring your fast guy in on the offense. or I'm going to put my fast guy in. And then how does that whole, how does that whole dynamic change and shift throughout, not just, not just on a week to week game plan, the game plan basis, but how does it change once the game starts. And I think that's what makes the game, I think, really fun is how can I create matchups that help me on defense? And then, you know, daggone well, that the offense is going to do the same thing to the defensive side. And I think that's that's where the game is awesome. You throw a little guy in there, he's going to lock up these tight ends and, and running backs. Boom, but now we're going to run power football in wide zone. And now he's got to stuff a guard in the B gap. It's so much there's so much going on. And then you introduce line movement to help free up that small guy in the box. It's it just gets fun real quick. I, I want to touch on that. I want to expand on that because you talked about playing against Shanahan's offense a bunch in, in different locations. Bucky and I have been talking about this for a while. You know, when you look at their team, they can break the huddle without a running back on the field, but then you can put Debo back there. They have Brandon Ayuk you could put back there. They have the versatility of use check who you can use in so many different areas. And you've got a tight end in Kittle who's not only an elite you know, pass catcher, but he's really good in a run game. But now what we were saying is now you bring in Trey Lance into that, you change the math completely. I, I don't know how you match – personnel-wise, with what they're going to be capable of doing in that system? Yeah, so your personnel groups, they go from they go from 11 personnel, 
or mm-hmm. or O one where there's obviously no, run, no running backs too. All right, how are we how are we classifying Ayuk? Mm-hmm. How are we classifying him? If it's true eleven personnel, boom, he's a receiver. The moment they go O one, do we treat him as a running back or do we treat him as a receiver? Same thing with uh, uh, Debo. So mm-hmm. that kind of then you start thinking about that, and it's like, all right, well, if Kittle if Kittle lines up in the in the tight end position, we're going to treat him as a Y. If, in their, but if they're in 12 personnel, we're going to treat it like 11. And Kittle, if if Kittle lines up at X, we're going to treat him like an X receiver. But if he lines up in, you know, true 12 looking at wing, then we got to treat him like a Y or a U. And we did – it kind of started for us when we used to play um, New Orleans when they had that – they had Pierre Thomas and they had Sproles and they had Jimmy Graham and they had Mark Ingram. It was like not all 11 personnels – are considered the same. You, know, you look yeah. at okay, if Sproles is in the game, like, and it's it's tw- say it's twenty one, and they have Sproles in the game, right? Mm-hmm. They're not running like power. So if, <laughs> if they're going to go twenty one with Sproles, maybe they're going to run a little more outside. But if they go eleven Sproles, it's going to be wide zone or more pass screen concepts. Like, it's I think it's I think it's awesome. Like you look at it and it's like boom, like yeah, it's eleven personnel, but like not all eleven is the same. You know, maybe you have a you've got a jumbo tight end that comes in what well, maybe you treat that as you treat that as 12 instead of 11. Cause it's a, it's a jumbo tight end, not Kittle plus. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's how new England's going to be this year. They've got, um, they got a uh, Hunter Henry and uh guy, Johnny Smith. Johnny yeah. Smith. Yeah. How, do you, how do you treat that? Is that 11? Is that 12? Is that 21? Is Johnny was like a, is a move tight end. Like mm-hmm. it, it's awesome. I think it's super fun. <laughs> What about the quarterback aspect, Luke? Just with when you add in the quarterback and you have to account yeah. for him in the run game. That's a pain in the butt because they, if he runs the ball, you always got an extra guy. They yeah. always have an extra guy on the offensive side of the ball to block. So, you know, you, t- you think about an eight-man front, everybody's got a gap. If somebody pulls, everybody just gap exchanges and moves one over, right? The mm-hmm. moment that quarterback's a runner, you're outnumbered because they've got an extra guy in the run game and – you know, we always saw it, especially in OTAs and training camp with Cam. Mm-hmm. Just like you can't, you can't be right. And Cam's back there just cheesing, smiling because he's like, <laughs> he knows he knows we know what they're doing. But it's like, eh, 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 like you can't, you can't be, you can't be like I'm going to be in the D gap to take the run game, and then he's going to read off the um, like they're going to they're going to down block with the tackle. I got to hit the B gap, and then they're going to option off the the DN, and then Cam, if the guy comes in, Cam's going to pull it and run for forty. So it's the ultimate pain in the butt. But we, we saw that with, with Russell and Seattle. And we got, we would get creative on how we played looks, how we played the zone read. So I think a lot of times the offense dictates and then the defense, the defense has to react and come up with new stuff quickly. And, and these defensive coordinators are so smart. They see stuff. They, they understand how to react to it. And I think Lamar's Lamar right now is the best guy, I think, in the game at running that quarterback run play. It's funny that you brought that because I was going there next because when I look at the Baltimore Ravens offense and there's a lot of outrage in terms of them saying, hey, we got to pass it. Teams are, or observers are saying they need to pass it more to go farther. I yeah. sit in the fact saying, no, the way they run it now is more, more challenging, particularly when they put bigs on the field. Can you explain a little bit when they go 12 personnel, they put two tight ends or three tight ends on the field with Lamar as a runner in a power gap zone read scheme. What is the challenge in dealing with all of the stuff that they can do with the bigs on the field versus the base defense? Well, they, they don't just have like, like big tight ends. They've got like, dude and uh, 
I think it's Patrick Ricard. Was he, a big man. He's like a fullback. He's a tight end, but he's super, he's super athletic. He can move behind the line of scrimmage. And then um, who is who is is it is it is it Boyle or Doyle? Yeah, yeah, he, Boyle. Uh, yeah, Boyle. yeah. He's a he's a big time blocker. Yeah, but he can catch the ball too, and he's yeah. super athletic, and he's big, and he's strong, and they can line up in different formations. And it's like there's so much stuff going on, like behind the line of scrimmage in pre snap motions. I think Shanahan does a fantastic job with that as well. But it's basically like we're going to line up in thirteen personnel, and you know we're going to run the ball. But our big guys, like our our, our personnel-related guys, our tight ends that are going to come in the game are going to be better than what you guys are going to put in the game. Mm-hmm. And those, those tight ends are both athletic enough, all three of them are athletic enough, that they can get out in the pass game. So the moment you load that box too quick and too often, those guys just shift out and and he just puts it right on him. And I think, I think on offense, man, like obviously throwing the ball, you can talk to the analytics guys, they're going to say it's more efficient and blah, blah, blah. But the name of the game is scoring points. Mm-hmm. they score plenty of points on the offensive side of the ball. So I don't care how you do it. If you put points on the board, that's what you got to do. God, man, this is fun, man. We could, I, we, we're going to, we could hold you here all day. We're not going to do it, man. This stuff is like, you just look at it and especially New Orleans. Like I saw it for eight years. Yeah. Last year, like Sean Payton is, is a wizard. Like, all right, I'm going to put these guys in there. I'm going to put them in for this reason. And I'm going to show you this look because later in the game, I'm going to run this off of it. It's like, it's the ultimate, like, what is Sean thinking? Like, what is he thinking? What is he looking at? Like, it's like, it, it's hilarious. So, what, what you, I want to go to that real quick. Just sorry, Buck, just real quick. Uh, Taysom Hill, do you, do, you, do you envision him as a full time guy or is he more challenging as a sprinkled in guy? I think I, when he was in the game, whenever he's in the game, and even when Drew was out this year, he had tons of success. I think he's kind of like in that Lamar mold of run, run first, he'd rather run the ball. But he, he's got a big arm. He can throw the ball. He can put the ball wherever he needs to. And I don't think he's just – he's not just a guy that I, I think that can just run the ball. Like when he was in, he's got, he's got touch. He can sling it out there. And, you know, I think the more reps he gets, the better he's going to be because you think about it last year, Drew gets all the reps. And I'm mm-hmm. sure they sprinkle some stuff in for those guys on Wednesdays. So I don't know how much Drew would do on Wednesdays. But the more reps he gets at the true quarterback position, the better he's going to get. Look, I have to ask you this because I know you tried your hand in personnel and you recently resigned. But when I listen to you, to me, it seems like you're a coach, like mm-hmm. like you're fascinated by the X's and O's, the personnel stuff. Is that in your future at all? Would you consider coaching at whatever level, yeah. high school, college, NFL? I think I definitely thought about it. I think I'd really enjoy it. I think the thing that's fun about coaching is there's always something to learn. You can always learn. You can always learn from different guys. Um, that was what's, what was cool this year, especially on the defensive side of the ball and also on the offensive side of the ball. Two totally different styles than anything I was ever used to in Carolina because we had the same style, especially on the defense side of the ball, basically my whole career. But I think the coaching would be a lot of fun. You'd be you'd have a chance to be around the guys. You'd be on the field. You'd be in it all the time. I think it'd be very enjoyable. Yeah, well, I think there's a lot of people listening to this that'll that'll take their run at you. Uh, listen to this conversation, man. That you'd be an outstanding coach uh, if you wanted to go that direction. Uh, I'm curious on the scouting thing. Just having we talked about this on the phone the other day, but just having studied tape as a player, the differences between what you're looking for and preparing for an opponent versus studying tape as an evaluator and a team builder. What what would you come up with there? Well, I think initially what. 
what happened was like, all right, I'm going to watch this guy he plays for the Cardinals on the defense side of the ball. The first like five or six plays I'm watching him I'm like done. And then the next like 30, I'm watching the offense and I'm like, all right, this is what they're doing. This is what they're doing. Like, oh, front, they're going to check to a pass. And then like 45 minutes go by and I'm like, all right, let's write this evaluation. And then I sit down to write it. And I'm like, I didn't watch this dude at all. Like, I <laughs> so I had to go back and like rewatch him again. And um, so that was, that was a challenge initially because I was so used to just, what is, give me scheme, give me scheme, give me scheme. Um, and that was, that was what was a little bit of a, of, of a challenge for me, but I was lucky that I had good dudes. The dudes that were in Carolina with me were awesome. Um, the guy, the, the scouts that I worked with were fantastic. They did a really good job. They taught me a lot. Um, and it was fun. Uh, it, that's funny because making a similar transition from playing to then being in the, the scouting world, a lot of times you're looking at scheme and those yeah. things. You kind of forget like, oh, I got to I got to I got to write I got to write this out. Um, I, I think I just have to ask, like, what's next for you? Like what like what's what's next on the agenda? What's next on the horizon for Luke? I'm going to try to I'm going to try to figure that out. I think, you know, there's a bunch of stuff uh, that I've always wanted to do during the fall. You know, I love I love the outdoors. I love to hunt fish. And obviously in the fall, like you never, we didn't have an opportunity to go do that stuff. And my whole family grew up doing that. And now I'm excited to kind of get an opportunity to go kind of do some things that I've wanted to do since I was, you know, really, really in high school, even before high school that I've always wanted to do with dad and brothers. And um, I think this year that I'll, I'll have an opportunity to do that. And then, you know, once we get finished up with that, then, you know, just kind of see what happens. All right. Last thing for me here, because I'm I'm just curious about this. Listening to you, how much knowledge that you have, and how much wisdom you can share with people. I'm curious. Since you hung up the cleats, have any of the other linebackers in the league reached out to you to try and tap into that? Yeah, a couple guys have. I mean, you know, the thing that's that's good is you know, obviously, I've got great relationships with the guys in Carolina, mm-hmm. and then you know, guys at, at Chad. I just love talking football. So like, whoever wants to talk about it, and, you know, especially especially you know, the guys that are in Washington and Buffalo, you know, the systems up there are in the, in the same family of what I did. So, you know, I've got a lot of same experiences as, as those guys. And, um, you know, like, how do you, they like, how do you see it? I'm like, well, this is how I looked at it. This is kind of how I line align. This is where I kind of cheated gaps. This is where I could kind of, all right, if you got a fast guy here and you're in this coverage, like your help's going to be here. I just think, you know, the more, the more perspectives and opinions, I think that was what was valuable for me was this is how I do it, but it it doesn't mean that it's right. This is how I've done it. But if I can find a way that's better and I can mesh it into my game, I'm going to do that. It's like, I'm always down to learn and get better at my spot. And I think the more opinions and, and perspectives you can get and, and experiences on why guys are doing things, I think the better you can be as a player. Well, dude, this has been so much fun, man. We could do this again for hours. I know one thing. If if you decide you want to fish and hunt and you just need a, a creative outlet to unload all this stuff that's stored up in your brain, we're here for you, man. I, mean, oh, I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome, dude. Hey, Luke, we appreciate your time, man, and hopefully we'll catch up down the road here soon. I appreciate you guys. Thanks. Buck, I, I mean, I don't even know where to start, man. I, I don't know. I guess if I'm a, a 49er fan, a Saints fan, a, uh, a Ravens fan, I'd be pretty excited to know that uh, Luke Keekley <laughs> thinks your offense is pretty difficult to, to worry about. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, there's so many things to go, but I do believe his insight and intel on the offenses that he faced, the Shanahan system, 
the variety, the complexity to dealing with that, particularly when they have a quarterback that is mobile. I thought that was interesting. I think Baltimore Ravens fans should certainly perk up when they hear him discuss the challenges of dealing with the big personnel that the Ravens can throw out there with the multiple tight ends and Lamar Jackson back there with all the misdirection and deception that occurs in the backfield. Um, And then, look, the New Orleans Saints have given people problems for years. We have seen and we've kind of decorated Sean Payton as a wizard. Um, I think Luke Keekley's words confirm uh, the level of uh, respect that we should give Sean Payton when it comes to designing diagramming offenses. No, I mean, Buck, again, it just – you go on and on about about how impressive that was and whatever he wants to do, he can do. Um, it's all there for him. He'd be a phenomenal coach. Um, if he did want to go back into personnel, I think that'd be uh, something he could succeed at as well. Uh, so anyways, he's he's a, uh, a special guy, special, special player. And I think he's got some special things in his uh, in his future here going forward. So uh, excited for him and excited for all of you. you got a chance to listen to that because it was just outstanding. Yeah, it was outstanding. Outstanding presentation, outstanding um, behind the curtain look at the linebacker position, playing defense, uh, evaluating personnel, and also the self-awareness, the way that he was able to listen and take in your report and confirm those things and talk about the violence and the increased nature of playing physical in the National Football League, what's required at the position. Uh, Man, overall, this is one of my favorite interviews. No doubt. Well, I appreciate you guys joining us today. I hope you got as much out of it as we did. It was a lot of fun. Um, we'll have some more episodes coming your way here. We're going to work on getting some of the special guests. We might even dabble outside the football world as we like to do in the offseason. So uh, be on the lookout for that. We appreciate you hanging with us. We'll catch you next time right here on Move the Sticks. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.